Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading today is taken from Mark 14, 40 through, through 50. King James, New King James, page 1573 1, in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came to the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Good morning. God is good <clears throat> all the time. So I was asked a few weeks ago about uh, maybe giving a, a lesson on how we can know we're close to God. And so I'm going to make my best effort with that, and I want to do it two ways. First of all, I want to look at about four examples of the disciples' closeness to Jesus. And then I want to ask us about three aspects or areas of our life and where we find ourselves in there. So if your Bible's open to Mark 14, I want you to back up with me and let's read verses uh, 43 and 44. And immediately... While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. Now Johnny just read that, but the reason I wanted to read it again is because if you go back several verses, you're going to find Judas seated at the same table as Jesus for the Passover meal. So, okay. Just because you're there doesn't mean that you are faithful to God. Just because you're here this morning doesn't mean that you're faithful to God. Because when we leave, where do we go? What do we do? Judas was right there at the table at the Passover meal like a good Jewish boy or, young man, or man should be. But then he goes and he's with the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes, which isn't an evil in and of itself. But what they're doing was he betrayed the Lord only after he had just sat down with him and celebrated the Passover meal. 
So I'm a Christian. I would say if we read this in Christian terms, we could probably say that Judas was a Sunday-only Christian. Because whenever he left, whenever he went out from the brethren, from the faithful, what did he do? What do I do? What do you do? Second example is verse 50. Again, Johnny read this, but I wanted to highlight it. Then they all forsook him and fled. They were there with him at the Passover meal. They were there with him in the garden. And they're there when they come to arrest Jesus. But they see the difficulty. They see the distress. They see there could be trouble. And they leave. So how do we match up? Is it... Is it that we worship and serve the Lord only when it's convenient, only when it's easy? What do we do when it gets difficult? The next example I want you to look at is that of our brother Peter out of John 18. After Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This is John referring to himself, so we've uh, been led to believe Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. We all remember the infamous denial of the Lord three times and the rooster crows. So Judas betrays Jesus. The disciples flee. Peter follows at a distance. He wants to stay close enough to the Lord. But what he doesn't realize is that he has stayed far enough away from the Lord that he's going to deny him, and he just did. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. Now, the previous reading we just looked at, it said that John, the other disciple, was known to the high priest, and he let him in. So Peter's at a distance, close enough, but far enough away to deny him. John is right there in the courtyard. Then when Jesus is being crucified, John is right there at the cross with Jesus' mother. And then, after Jesus has risen and word has reached the disciples, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. So, you look at each of these. Judas was there at the meal, there at the religious observance, but then leaves and he goes and he consorts with others in order to betray Jesus. The disciples are there, but when they see the soldiers coming and they perceive the difficulty, they flee. Peter follows close enough, but stays far enough away, not realizing that he would deny his Lord and that that rooster would crow, proving what Jesus said was true. John, however, is in the courtyard. John is at the cross. John is in the tomb. John wanted to stay as close as humanly possible to Jesus. So when you think about this in these different areas, where would you say you fit? Where would I say that I fit? 
Maybe you are at a different point than what I am, and maybe we're all at one point. You don't know. But at least it's going to make us think. Do I act like Judas? You say, Stephen, I would never betray the Lord. I know you would never go to somebody and say, if you pay me so much, I'll take you to him and I'll deliver him into your hand. I know you'd never do that. But what about my words and actions? Do those betray the fact that I'm a Christian, that Jesus is my Lord? You say, I would never deny Jesus. Have you kept silent at times when you should have spoken up? Because, right, we, we, we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, but people all around have no reservation about telling us their points of view, even if those points of view are antithetical to Christianity. And so maybe you sit there in silence thinking, you know, I just don't want to open Pandora's box. Now, it's not that the Lord needs you to defend him, but if they can be as passionate about their beliefs, why can't we be as passionate about the Lord? Not seeking to upset or offend, but just taking pride and boasting in the fact that we know that Jesus is our Savior and all that that entails, the hope of everlasting life. So here are the three areas in our lives that I want us to look at. Our devotion, our decisions, and our despair. I'll start with the first one. Do I regularly join God's family to worship the Father? How often do I pray, read Scripture, fast, serve others? And let me just touch on that. We don't ever talk about fasting. And some, well, someone's going to say, well, now, I, I got a medical condition. Look, if fasting would hurt you medically or, or harm you in any physical way, obviously, I don't think the Lord wants you taking one for the team. So let, let's use just common sense and the things that we can do, we'll do. And the things we can't, well, we'll understand and we'll move on to do something else. How often do I serve others? These are basic, easy things that we shouldn't see as burdens. We shouldn't feel guilted into doing. When we fulfill that first greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what He asks us to do isn't a burden. It's a privilege to serve. It's a privilege to worship. But to neglect the easiest of devotions that we could do, that very well may amount to apathy. Someone once said, the, thing, uh, the nice thing about apathy is that you don't have to exert yourself to show you're sincere about it. I thought that was a little funny. You didn't? Okay. So think about these basic areas. I mean, we have seven days a week. Maybe we sleep eight hours a night. Some of you are going, boy, I'd love to have eight hours of sleep. And worship one hour, two hours on Sunday, Bible set three hours out of our lives, Wednesday night an hour. What do you have going on that's so important? That just four hours out of your life would upset your apple cart. There are always a multitude of reasons and excuses, but I tell you what, I really appreciate the people who are honest and just say, I know, I need to go, I just don't. I can at least 
appreciate that honesty. Is that well now? Uh, uh, no, you don't have to convince me. It's God you have to convince. I mean, think about this. He gave His Son for us. His Son. I've got a son, and I'll tell you what, I'd step in front of a train for that kid. And there are some days I'd push him in front of it. But I would not send him to die for a whole bunch of people, many of whom he doesn't even know, they don't know him. Many of whom are unworthy of my son. But Jesus gave himself, the Son of God, for the sins of the world. And we come along and we, we hear that good news and we want to be saved and we go, thank you, that's it. You know, when you look at my grandparents' generation, every time the doors of the church were open, they were there. And you know what? Many of them were farmers. And you know what? They still went to church. They wanted to serve. And they still managed to fit everything else in. But think about it. We have microwaves and dishwashers and washers and dryers, things that make life easy. But what do we do? Rather than filling all that saved time with the Lord, we're going to fill it with everything else that we want. We're so selfish. So think about these small areas of devotion. And I'm not, I'm not saying that... Well, I'm, what I'm really saying is just look at yourself in light of these things. Again, you don't have to convince me, and maybe you don't even have to convince God. But, but I would ask this question. Am I happy with my level of devotion to the Lord? And then here's the most important question. Is God happy with my level of devotion to Him? Okay? Because I know there are things in your life that you will not miss, no matter what. Because you're devoted to it. But sometimes it seems the easiest thing to sacrifice on the altar of self is God. And please don't do that. So am I faithful in the small things? Or am I derelict in what's essential and the most basic things to do? Now, there's a difference between making excuses and explanations. Someone could say, I'm a shut-in. I'm unable to make it. That's, that's a, an example of, a, of a, not an excuse, but of an explanation. But now, there are probably some shut-ins that could make it, but they've got so used to not making it that they don't. That's when it becomes an excuse. Secondly, let's look at decisions. We all make decisions every day. There are some that are unimportant, thinkless decisions. You know, for example, every morning I get up, I have a, I have a routine. And I hate it when, when Stephanie asks me to do something in the morning because I'm like, oh, my routine's derailed, right? Do you ever get lost? You're like, something's just not right. It's not clicking on all cylinders. But we all have decisions. Those are thinkless decisions. But what about other decisions that we may have to make that may be very, very, very difficult to make, but we do it nonetheless? 
I worked for a company before I was in ministry, and we worked in insurance restoration. And it was a startup. The first year we did about $750,000, even though our goal was a million. So the second year we set the goal at 1.4. Well, we came in at 1.2. We had a goal to aim at. We fell short of it, but we kept up in our goal. We got to a period where things were a little stale in the market. And in Middle Tennessee, there are a lot of companies that do this. And so everybody's competing for a piece of the pie. And so we get to a point to where we're in a dry spell and we're getting fewer jobs. And the owners are wanting us to, I, in my mind, I call it pad the bills. And I didn't like that one bit because we'd never charged for this stuff before. Our, our customers, our clients, they're used to this. Now we're going to start adding these additional charges. And it wasn't too long before one entire company dried up. I could not get a return call or anything. And so they kept doing this because we're not getting as much business, so we got to get as much money out of it as we can. And I'm thinking, this is just not right. So I speak to the owner of another company, and I call back the, the, the supervisor of the adjusters of this insurance company. And I said, I would really appreciate if you could call me back. I want to talk to you about you know, switching jobs and everything. And so she called back and, you know, I was somewhere nobody could hear. And I said, listen, um, I know you've not been given us business. And I know that it's because the bills are increasing differently than what they used to. She said, you're right. I said, I want you to know that I'm not for it. I'm, I'm bothered by it. And I'm talking to the owner of this company. Would you mind? Well, first of all, I said, have I ever done you wrong? She said, no, you've always been nice and straightforward. I said, okay, please do me a favor. Would you please talk to the owner of this company? If you feel you can, put in a good word for me because I really want out of this one because I didn't like what they were doing. It may not have, you know, it's not illegal, but it, it, it's right there on that border of you're like, that's unethical. And, and that really bothered me. And I, I, not to say I'm morally superior, but it's like, I can't be a part of that. So she did. She talked to this owner. The owner called me back. And anyway, I went and switched a job. You know, um, God provided in that moment. Some of you may have said, why risk losing my job? Why risk losing your soul? God will always provide you with a job if you need one, if you're willing to work. But if you work for a place, they're doing sketchy things and you and I are Christians, we have to uphold our integrity and not be compromised, so we have to choose. Joshua made the Israelites choose once they got into the land and settled. Now, you are only probably going to know a portion of this passage because it's on doormats, it's on little wooden pictures that you hang on your wall, it's on coffee cups, but there's a greater part to this passage that you can't miss. Joshua says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe take out gods and put anything in their place that maybe you might serve over the Lord. And in this story that I told you, 
I felt it would have been money, and I, I, I feel like I, it would have been compromising, uh, uh, you know, being honest, not defrauding anyone and such things. Choose this day who you will serve. Stephen, is it going to be the padded bills and the money because of the loss of business? Or will it be the Lord? I said, it's got to be the Lord. There's a lady I know, a Christian sister, who uh, she, she worked in an industry, and that industry started taking a turn in a direction that bothered her conscience. Now, I'm not going into the details, but anyway, she, you know, she and her husband discussed it. She quit her job. And uh, she and I were talking, and she was telling me, some of the things they were doing, the direction they were going, she said, I, I, it just nagged at me. And she said, you know, she said, I just quit. And she was pretty, pretty big up in that. And, you know, I, I've never forgotten that. And I've always admired her for that. Because as a Christian, the company she worked for, they were doing something that really was bothersome to her as a Christian. And now she's not going to change an entire company to suit her conscience but she can live in good conscience. And she chose to give up her job in order to do that. So choose this day whom you will serve. It may not be the gods of your fathers beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, but what else might it be? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Finally, Looking at despair, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 25. It's inevitable that we're going to encounter difficult times, times that, in which we despair. But in those times, how do we look at it? How do we handle it? Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Who in here right now is concerned about what you're going to eat or if you will have anything to eat? Obviously, you're not concerned about clothing. Everybody's well clothed. That's what they worried about. 
What do we worry about? I remarked to someone a week ago, and this is what I've been telling myself too when I'm prone to, you know, just despair over a, a topic. And, you know, a guy was saying, well, I just had a bad day. I was like, well, tell me what happened. What happened about your bad day? And he was describing different things. And I said, I said, I could see how that would bother a person. It would bother me. I said, but you know, here's a good thing. He said, what's that? I said, you and I don't live in Israel or Gaza. So if these are our problems, not that bad. Not that bad. I mean, I've got a healthy family. I've got a roof over my head, food, clothing. God can take care of all these other problems. And even when it hits real close to home, I will repeat what Abraham said when he and Isaac were heading up that mountain. His son looking, seeing that they have everything necessary for a sacrifice, but one. He says, Father, where's the lamb? And Abraham's reply was, God himself will provide. Start doing that. When you get into an area of despair or circumstances that cause you to despair in life, say it out loud, the Lord himself will provide, because I guarantee you he will. It may not be the way you want it provided. It may not be on the timeline that you want, right? I'll, when I want God to do something, I want, want it done yesterday. Don't want to wait. But we've, we've got to keep in mind that he works in his time in his own way. And remember, as is said in the book of Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours. God doesn't think as we think. God doesn't do as we do. So when we encounter these moments of despair, maybe you need to tell yourself, I don't live in Israel or Gaza. I've got food, shelter, and clothing. Sometimes life gets a little hard. Yeah, sometimes it gets a little frustrating. Yeah. But you know, and I'll, I'll tell you all this. I know I'm not trying to shame anyone for, for having problems or, or being upset over their problem. That, that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, you know, there are people that, that, that we as ministers meet with, some that are spiritually unwell. And then there are people whose marriages are falling apart. And there have been a couple of instances of domestic violence. And then there are so many different issues, people with, uh, uh, with poor health, failing health. These are the types of folks that we regularly interact with. And it really has given me a perspective of quit whining. You think you've got problems but you really don't. And even when you have the problems, you know the Lord will provide always. He will provide, and He'll get me through it no matter what. He's never let me down before, so I know that He'll always be there. Woo! I had a, I had a whole other slide. It disappeared into the ether. Well, now you know we're about to stand and sing. So let me recap and go back to where we began. And now, Noah, that might have been my fault. Don't, don't despair over that. I may not have saved it. So I don't want them... Whoa! Found it! Okay. So, just reminding you of the ones we've already spoken about. I would call Judas a Sunday-only Christian. Comes to church, but then he goes so far out into left field 
after, after it's all said and done. And then the disciples leave when things get hard. Peter stays close enough but far enough away to deny the Lord. But John stayed as close as he could. So I, I leave the question with you. Where are you as far as how close you are to the Lord? Are you happy with it? And more importantly, is he happy with it? You can always, if you are not where he wants you to be or you want to be, you can always start right now. Hope is not lost. The world is not going to end. Just begin now. Renew your commitment to the Lord. If you've been so far away that you need the prayers of your church family, we're more than happy to assist you and to pray with you and pray for you. But you have to do your self-examination as I do mine. But if you wish to respond to this invitation, you're welcome to do so as we stand and sing together.